Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Oh man, it's exciting to be here. This is my first time here for a morning service, so... uh, Anybody else their first time here for morning service? Uh, you know, a few people. Yeah, welcome. You know, let's break this thing in together. Well, uh, during the summer series, we um, kind of approach uh, sermons a bit different. Um, and really, the challenge and the charge that uh, Pastor James gives us is just to preach whatever God is on our hearts so we don't go through like a whole series kind of scenario and approach. And a couple weeks ago, when he did his last sermon on the series, Elevated, it was like God spoke to me immediately and said, I, I know what you need to preach on. If you remember, or for those who were there, and maybe if you weren't, uh, it was the, a series, it was a message on Elijah, and Elijah confronting uh, the 850 prophets of Baal, false prophets, uh, that had led the people of Israel into idolatry. And he talked about how uh, Elijah was led into this sense of purpose and calling, and as a result of that, God allowed Elijah to do great things. And it caused me to think, have you ever walked in your calling or purpose? Has there ever been a season when you were like, I am doing exactly what I was made to do? It's a phenomenal feeling, isn't it? When, you, when your gifts and your circumstances and your opportunities align like perfectly together and you are are flexing uh, all the God-given muscles that God has given you in in ways in your job, you know what I mean, in your career, you know, at home, just in in all of these different ways. And I recently felt that, which was why I was like, yeah, I can really experience this. You see, about less than a year ago, in August uh, of last year, I wrote a proposal to our leadership. Uh, I, I serve at, uh, with a ministry called our Daily Bread Ministries, um, in addition to being here. And I, I wrote this proposal about doing a Juneteenth film, a film that would chronicle the story and the history of Juneteenth by going to Texas and, and, and interviewing people who were descendants of those who were emancipated on that day. And, and I didn't know if it would be accepted. It ended up being accepted. And then literally a few weeks ago, the film was premiered. And yeah, and in addition to the film, no, yeah, it was amazing, right? Like, wow, some of y'all, we screened it here. And I heard people telling me like, yo, this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. I can tell, you're walking in your purpose. Then just this past week, we released an album, a soundtrack to go with it. And you know you gotta check it out because our worship leader, Mark, got two songs on it. Killing the game. And it was just amazing experience. But you know, the reality though, as much of a mountaintop as that feels, the thing about mountaintops is that you can't stay there. And oftentimes it accomp- what comes after a mountaintop experience is a valley. A valley of burnout. You ever entered the valley of burnout before? Amen. And here's the truth. What we do when we burn out determines if we ever get back to the mountaintop. What we do when we burn out 
determines if we ever get back. Well, some people might be wondering, what is burnout? Uh, Well, this is how WebMD, our source for all medical uh, knowledge, (laughs) defines it. Burnout is a form of exhaustion caused by constantly feeling swamped. It's a result of excessive and prolonged emotional, physical, and mental, and I would add spiritual, stress. In many cases, burnout is related to one's job. And so today, I just want to present a simple question before you. It's just really one question. How can we heal from burnout? How do we heal? It's something that we all experience. I won't ask you to raise your hand. Uh, We already had some aspect of confession, so we know it's something we all experience. I did a poll before uh, we started, and most of the people that were here setting up had experienced that. And this is the encouraging thing, is that the Bible is not silent on the issue. In fact, Elijah, after he experiences this incredible Victory on this mountaintop where he defeats the 850 false prophets of Baal, we see what happens next. He experiences this thing of burnout. But for some context, you have to understand the scenario. Just again, just to take you back briefly, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time there, but the brief version is the people of God have moved into the promised land. They have kings set up that they had wanted. And now one of those kings, Ahab, and his wife, Queen Jezebel, leads the people astray into worshiping false gods. So much so that they actually pursue and attack and persecute and kill those prophets of God that dare say, you know what, this is, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing these things. And one thing you need to also understand is this was not just a religious question. One thing, uh, this is what Andy Crouch in his book, Playing God, wrote, and I thought it was so profound, that God hates idolatry and injustice because they're two sides of the same coin. Because once you create a God, then you can tend to use that God to justify treating other people like they should serve you and not the true and living God. In other words, you start to play God in people's lives. And so this is what happens to the people there. And so we saw in uh, 1 Kings 18 and verse 36, it, it culminates into this big conflict because Elijah challenges the false prophets. Okay, this is what we're going to do to see whose God is God. We're going to just put a sacrifice on the altar and whose God ever actually spontaneously causes the uh, sacrifice to combust is proof that that God supernaturally is in charge of this mountain and in, in this space. And so the prophets of Baal and Asherah, they they try to do this for hours. It doesn't work. So then Elijah steps up. And this is what he says. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So this is his prayer. And verse 38 shows what happens next. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. It just consumed everything. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. This 
was an incredible success story. This was, I mean, a mountaintop experience like no other. All of a sudden, the people's hearts who had been turned away actually turned back to God. Elijah gets to see. He put it all on the table. If God hadn't showed up, he was dead. But God did show up, and it caused this revival to take place in his heart and in all the other people's hearts. And so this is this moment, this crowning achievement of his ministry and of his life. This was a mountaintop experience. Can you relate to a mountaintop experience? You've seen God move in miraculous ways. You've seen people, God used you to turn people's hearts to God. You, you trusted him for that job. You trusted him for that move. You trusted him for that circumstance. And he came through and you're like, yes, yay, God, like you did it. <laughs> and then the valley comes. I know because I've experienced both myself. And the reality is we want to stay on that mountain so much. We want to actually then believe that this is the way life is supposed to always go. (laughs) But the reality is the mountaintop is the anomaly. (laughs) Usually you're either trying to climb or you're going down. And the trouble with the mountaintop is that you have to go back down to the valley of burnout. And burnout happens when you're overwhelmed You're emotionally drained and unable to keep up with life's incessant demands. And recently, there's been a lot of talk about burnout because of all the various circumstances that are kind of coming together in life. This is what a um, a, a website that looks at work and employment called FlexJobs, this is what they they did a survey and saw 75% of workers have experienced burnout with 40% saying they've experienced burnout specifically during the pandemic. There's something about the instability, right? Uh, There's something about the, the, the distance, the isolation, all the various things that have caused this particular season over the last couple years to be particularly synonymous with burnout. And so what happened with me um, with the Juneteenth thing. So, I, you know, again, for months, you know, I was grinding between, you know, like setting it up, getting the organization aligned, going down to filming it, writing all the film editing, getting everything set up. And then the big day was supposed to come. It was June 6th, a Monday. And I remember very clearly because I got up an hour ahead of the alarm. I was up at 5 a.m. I was so excited. I was like, let's go. This is about to be the day. I'm setting everything up. We're going to blast it. People are going to be like, wow, this is amazing. And then the problem started. First, it was a technical issue with YouTube that prevented us for hours and hours and attended up the whole day of getting the film out. In fact, it didn't come out the day that we had told everybody it was coming out. And it was like, wait, you know, this is happening. And then the next into the next day, the issue still kept going and I was frustrated and something was happening with the album. And one of the artists was tripping and you know how artists are. They'd be tripping. So, you know, it wasn't Mark. It wasn't Mark. But then I remember on the 7th, when it actually did drop, it was like 5 o'clock. So this is now like two whole days of working through these issues. And it just was anticlimactic. Like, was this it? You know, like, I didn't get, like, the wave of, like, complete, like, everybody stopped their life and changed. You know, when you put something out, you expect everybody to be like, this is now my life has started because this has come out. (laughs) A little bit over, (laughs) you know, you kind of over-exaggerate in your mind what's going to happen. And... I just remember feeling like, was that it? (laughs) After all that work, 
And that's why the prophet Elijah has been very instructive to me. Look at what happens in verse 1 of chapter 19. Now Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, the queen, everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. All of a sudden, this moment that was this crowning achievement just changed and turned. And now he's fleeing for his life from someone who's basically saying, if I don't kill you in 24 hours, I'm going to die. Like, that's intense. And the reality is not everybody is excited about your mountaintop experience. Not everybody sees your triumph as something to celebrate. In fact, some people experience your wins as their losses. They have a zero-sum game in their mind of who gets to shine. And so when you get yours, they look at it as them not getting theirs. Oh, you got engaged. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. You got that job that you were looking for while I'm still unemployed. Yay! But this wasn't just hating in the generic sense. This was specifically against God's plan. There was a spiritual dynamic to this. And Jezebel was ruthless and powerful, and she had the resume to back this up. One time, the king was just complaining about the fact that he liked some other dude named Naboth's field, his vineyard. And she's like, oh, oh, for real? You want that field, huh? She arranged an ambush to have the dude killed so that the king could take the field. She was ruthless like that. So this was a threat that was something that wasn't just idle. And he ran for his life. Verse, uh, then we go on to the next. It says, when he came, verse 3, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Just to give you some context for the geography to show you how the extreme is, he fled from the far north of Israel, which is Jezreel, all the way to the far south of Beersheba. That's about 120 miles. It would take someone walking to do that journey six days. My man booked it in one. He was out. It was a desperate flee. Hussein bolt on him. And you got to remember the context of why this was, why he felt so deflated was remember the mountaintop. The whole thing was this display of whose God was more powerful, whose God was really God. And so he had just did all this to show, yo, the God of the covenant, the God of Israel, he's the real God. And now he's running and fleeing as she evokes the name of Baal to say to kill him. So it looked like it was a punk move, like it was a coward and he was ashamed and he was defeated And he was exhausted. And so he collapsed into this deep funk. 
After experiencing the triumphant victory, he was burnt out. And he felt shame in that sense of burnout, right? Because he was God's man, and now he fell short. Have you ever experienced that crash? That moment where you came after the the great triumph, and it was like, yay, God is just, I can sense his presence in my life. And then you fall short and, and fall back to something you thought you wouldn't do again. He thought he was over fear of God and fear of man on that mountaintop. And yet, right afterwards, he falls back into it. Or maybe you're just tired, just fatigued. And in that fatigue, someone said uh, once, fatigue makes cowards of us all. The sense of despair and depression can be so real that it darkens any sign of hope. And the valley of burnout seeks to take out many people. And and especially you add to this a culture, and oftentimes in many of our communities, that shuns mental health, that shuns this conversation about what it means to take care of what's happening externally and internally. And it can just cause you to be even more isolated. That shuns therapy, that shuns medication. And even in the context of the church, where we can often recognize there's a problem, but do the same thing Elijah does and have a misdiagnosis of the problem. And we need all, and God makes all of those things available, but look at what, how Elijah saw himself. He said, I am no better than everybody else. I have failed. He internalized that his primary issue and the primary diagnosis was his character. And this is why we have to beware of over-spiritualizing burnout. Beware. This is an important caution of over-spiritualizing burnout. We, we immediately go to, okay, it must be uh, I'm feeling spiritually numb and indifferent. Worship doesn't move me the same. Sermons don't rock me the same. Nothing impacts me the same. So it must be something wrong deeply with my faith. Or some of us go, well, is God even there? Because I don't feel anything anymore. What's wrong with me, we wonder and ask. In my case, it was a case of just like apathy, almost like that. God did all this and this was it. And we tend to misdiagnose burnout. And this is why this is such an important passage for us, because look at how God responds to Elijah. This is fascinating. Verse five. So Elijah, he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food, He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Elijah diagnosed that his problem was his character, his spiritual vitality. And to the point where he's like praying that God would kill him. He's questioning if he he doesn't even want to live no more because he's so crushed under the weight of his own shame and guilt and embarrassment. 
And God's response is not to deal with him on the character level at all. He says, go sleep. Get a meal. Feed yourself, right? And I mean, the point where it's like Elijah wakes up and like the angel prepared food for him, like on hot coals and everything. So that meant he probably arose to the aroma of bread. You ever smell fresh baked bread? You know, you just like walk by a bakery. It changes your whole life trajectory for that day. Like, I must go inside. Like, that's what he wakes up and smells this. And not only just once, right? And then he goes back to sleep. And he's he like, go back to sleep again. You still need rest. He misdiagnosed himself, but God didn't. God responds by meeting his physical needs. First, the sense of despair and depression can be so real, but look at what God does. And here's the first step of how do we heal from burnout? Heal from burnout by acknowledging and meeting your physical needs. That's a step. That's the first step. We, we heal by acknowledging. First, he didn't even know what his need was. God had to tell him, look, bro, you need to eat something. You exerted a lot of energy up on that, on that mountain. Life is intense and very exhausting. And sometimes when we're so passionate about what we're doing, we can forget to eat. Forget to rest. I remember after the film came out and you know, we did the screening here on June 19th, and then we have, uh, got flown out to San Antonio in this incredible venue, you know, seat 1,700 people, and we screened in and had this Q&A. And I remember coming back, and I had never, like, and I just hit a wall. Like, I slept. I could not get out of bed for, like, two days. I was just exhausted. And it's a tendency I even had to misdiagnose myself as having a spiritual problem when it was a physical issue. And here's the other part to it, because notice after he eats the second time, then God sends him to Mount Horeb to meet with him. And here's why this is important. Meeting our physical needs is a spiritual discipline. We have to recognize that meeting our spiritual needs is a meeting our physical needs is a spiritual discipline. Some of us are so workaholic. Some of us get so much of our identity by what we do that we have to actually make ourselves sit down, make ourselves rest and recognize that doing so is an act of trusting God by faith that he can handle what I can. I don't have to fight for my reputation and my resume every day. And that's an act of faith. That's an act of faith. Sabbath rest is an act of faith. But God doesn't stop there. Look, he continues on. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me, too. You know, Jezebel didn't, wasn't on a horse herself chasing down Elijah. She was sending Israelites to go do it, his own people. But do you hear the weariness in his words? God asks, where are you? He doesn't really answer, why are you here? He doesn't answer the question. He just kind of like complains. Like he just kind of like vents. He's just like, like I'm, I've been trying to do what you want me to do. And they just... They're rejecting you, and, and, and I'm the only one trying to do right, and, and now they're trying to take me out, and, and that's just where he is. He doesn't even mention the mountaintop anymore. That just happened. 
He can't even remember that. All he remembers is the threat. All he remembers is the emptiness. All he remembers is the the exhaustion. So God speaks to him. Look at what he says in verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The spiritual energy that he had exerted on Mount Carmel was so intense that he was just burnt out. God feeds him, but then not only that, he decides the thing that you need next is my presence. And so he appears in this dramatic way. Now, this is where, again, the geography is kind of important here. Because we're at Mount Horeb, the other name for it is Mount Sinai. This is Mount Sinai is where Moses went up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, met with God, got the Ten Commandments. And if you remember, when the covenant is established between God and the people, it's established through these incredible natural phenomenon of earthquake, of, 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 of storms. All of these things happen. And that's where the covenant gets initially established. And so God is saying the same way that I established my covenant with your people, I'm establishing it with you. I'm letting you know that we're still in this together. But also notice this, that one of the beware, this is one of the dangers of mountaintop experiences. And when we can get addicted to them is that we tend to start to think that this is how God always works through these dramatic these dynamic scenes of incredible, miraculous. And so then we start to put God in a box and think that if he ain't doing that, he ain't moving at all. So God then says, okay, remember how I used to show up at the earthquake? Remember how I used to show up with the wind? But I'm not in any of those things. It's not always going to be me raining fire down from heaven, consuming an altar and licking up all the water in it. Sometimes it's just going to be a whisper. Beware of pouring out, but not making God, making time for God to pour back in. Beware of pouring out, but not making time for God to pour back in. God also met Elijah's spiritual needs, but he did it in a different way than he did on the mountain. It doesn't always look the same. And we can get seduced into thinking that life is always going to be like the mountaintop, full of highs and full of these amazing climatic experience. Beware of that. Beware of thinking that even his recharging must be sensational, that you must hear this great audible voice and it must be this great significant thing and and all these things need to happen that's so dramatic. Sometimes... He wants to speak in a whisper. And you know why he wants to speak in a whisper? Because the only way to hear what someone is saying when they are whispering is to be still and to be quiet and to not move. And that's why we need to 
Rest and know that he is God. Healing from burnout by being, we heal from burnout by being still enough to hear from God. That's the only way to do it. You got to be still. You got to rest. Make sure you take time to process. I know journaling is really helpful for me. It gives me perspective. It helps me reflect on what God has been doing. Sometimes we can forget what God just did miraculously just days before. But he spoke to Elijah in a whisper, barely audible. So that when and then when he did speak, he told Elijah what to do. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, go back. The way you came and go to the desert of Damascus, when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to bow, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Man, this is so good. So finally, he finally gets to the place where he gives uh, Elijah next instructions. And, and look at what he does. He, he tells him, anoint a new king of Aram, a new king of Israel, and a new prophet. Now, the reason why that's significant is because basically what he's saying is uh, Ahab is the king of Israel. He was like, oh, I'm going to let you remind you that he's not going to be the king much longer. I'm actually calling on you to anoint his successor, which is a reminder of the fact that he's not going to win. And this won't be here always. And on top of that. I'm going to actually have you do your job. The thing that prophets were meant to do, prophets stood in a place where they, 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 they officiated over and gave spiritual authority and leadership to the civic authorities. He said, I am going to have you to have influence over the civic government. I'm going to have you have influence in the marketplace. I'm going to have you have influence in all the places around you. Not even just in Israel. Aram is not even an Israeli place. It's a Gentile place. But he was going to exert that type of authority and also the spiritual authority to have his successor. And part of the problem here that Elijah is is, is thinking about and what can sometimes happen when we get into this overworked mode is he's thinking he's all by himself. Remember, he's like, and they killed everybody and it's only me. And God says, oh, and by the way, Elijah, there are 7000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. You are not the only one. The enemy will cause us to think that we are by ourselves and alone. And that causes us to be overwhelmed. And it causes us to think, I'm the only one trying to live righteous in my field at work. I'm the only one trying to carry this cross in, in my job. Or, and it's like, or in my family. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just because you don't know that they're there don't, doesn't mean that they're not there. There's 7,000. And all of this relates to one key component that he's saying. We heal from burnout in community and in service. This is not a solo effort. This is not an individual sport that ultimately when we get those mountaintops and we go into those valleys, we need others around us who can see the things that we can't see, who can feed us when we need to be fed and don't need to and tell us, yo, you need to rest, man. You've been going so hard. I know that's a constant conversation in my house with me. And it's something I continually need to hear. We need to stay in community and support others 
who could also use that encouragement. Not all of us are in a valley of burnout. Some of you on the mountaintop right now, that's dope. We want to celebrate that. But that also means that you have a responsibility to, to be around and aware of who might around you be struggling and to lift them up. And if you're in the valley right now, reach out. Yo, I'm struggling. Don't be ashamed. God has put us in community to lift each other up. The life change you experienced on the mountaintop is still relevant when you're burnt out. It's still relevant because you can remember and remind yourself of what God is capable of and what he's done. Identify your physical, your spiritual, and your social needs so that you can understand where you are, but also get back up to where God wants to take you. Because the cool thing about mountaintops is they keep getting higher and higher. Do you realize this isn't part of the sermon, but it's just kind of an amazing backstory that Elijah was so righteous before God that like God just took him up to heaven. Like he didn't even die. <laughs> like, like that's just amazing. So it's like, oh, you thought the mountaintop was dope. How about when you just get taken up in heaven? Like, like there's a, a greater emphasis and ability. But ultimately, we often find ourselves incapable of healing on our own. And this is why we need Jesus. Because the reality is it can even feel like, man, the valley of burnout, like, okay, so I got to do all these things. That feels like work, right? I'm overwhelmed again. And this is where the beauty of Jesus comes. Look at what he says in Matthew 28. I mean, Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is able to offer rest because he worked on our behalf. He accomplished his work and he wasn't burnt out. He was stretched out on a cross. And as he hung there, he cried out, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. As he hung there, he turned to a thief on the cross who did no work and said, this day you will be with me in paradise. You will find rest. His work accomplished our salvation, and that's why his burden is light. And all who seek forgiveness for their sins and freedom from the crushing burdens of work that we sometimes put on ourselves and the expectations of others that we sometimes internalize. For all of that, for those who work to do justice in the world and feel like Elijah, where it just seems like all the stack, the odds are stacked against you. For all of those, he says, come, come to me. I can carry this burden. It's too heavy for you. The journey is too great for you. But when we do it together, because sometimes I have to carry you along the way, it is enough. And he still offers that rest today. The good news is that Jesus offers that rest not only to those who are seeking that sense of peace and salvation, but even for those who have experienced that salvation, but have kind of forgotten that it wasn't about you and your work in the first place. It was always about him. He offers healing from burnout. And that rest for your souls is available when we acknowledge our need, when we invite him to meet the need, and when we lean on each other as the church and community to be a part of that 
restoration. And sometimes, as weird and counterintuitive as it sounds, sometimes there's something about service in addition to community that causes us to be out of ourselves and allows us to remember that God can still use us in our gifts. So would you stand with me as we close? I just want to give two opportunities to respond to this message. You know, the first is in a room this size. I don't want to assume that people have ever experienced that rest of God by just resting from working and trying to earn your own salvation. So I want to make that opportunity available. And then if you're just here and you're like just burnt out and you're just like, yo, this message is for me. I just want to make that step of faith for you to just acknowledge that and maybe slip up your hand and say, I need to be recharged. So if you could bow your head and close your eyes and I'll just pray. God, we're here today because we're exhausted. We're here today because we need you. And I pray that for that person that's here who's never made a profession of faith, who's never stopped and said, I trust you to do the work instead of me. That, Lord, that they would accept you right now in the work that you did on the cross as the work that saves. The work that can draw them out of burnout. And for the person here who knows you, but has just been tired. We just ask that you would give them winds of refreshing. That you would help them to see, I just need to stop and be still and slow down and take care of my physical needs. I need to stop so that I can hear the gentle whisper of God. I need to stop and figure out how to do this in the context of community. If one of those are you right now, you could, would you just slip up your hand and just say, I want that rest from my soul. I see that hand. I see that hand. God, we come to you. We're desperate. We need you. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Remind us that there is healing from burnout. We don't have to stay here. We don't have to judge ourselves and misdiagnose ourselves and over-spiritualize us. But we can rest in you knowing that your promises are yes and amen. That just like Elijah, that you meet with us on the mountain. You help us to get away, to steal away, and to hear your still, quiet voice. Thank you for your restoration and your healing. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.